Good morning. So who here likes the beach? Show of hands, it's a lot of people. Uh, I, for one, do not like the beach. <laughs> In fact, as my wife will tell you, I hate the beach. Uh, and there's a very specific reason for it. If you've been keeping up with the news lately, you'll know that there have been two beach closings in Cape Cod. And the reason for that is there have been sightings of great white sharks. Now, great white sharks are very scary. They have big teeth. They swim very fast, much faster than I can swim, mostly because I can barely swim. But what's interesting is that people, including myself, were not always afraid of great white sharks. In fact, before the year 1975, people didn't really know a lot about sharks. But a movie came out. <laughs> and I will do that uh, theme, and if you know the movie, please shout out the name. Dun dun. Dun dun. Yes. Jaws. A film about a great white shark terrorizing a small New England town. And uh, throughout the film, you find uh, various people being eaten by the shark. There's terror and panic. And finally, three courageous men decide to get on a small boat and try to track the shark down and kill it. Exactly. <laughs> and certainly enough, uh, their boat is destroyed by the shark. And... Uh, the captain dies, they finally kill the shark, but uh, as uh, someone said, there's a line in the movie, see the shark isn't really seen for most of the film, that's what makes it scary, it's this fear of the unknown, you just hear the theme and then someone just is taken underwater, you see a pool of red, sorry for being a little graphic, uh, but there, when the shark is first, you get a real good look at it. Uh, one of the main characters, Martin Brody, is throwing uh, fish guts into the ocean, and he has his back turned to the sea, and he's talking to the captain, Captain Quint, and he's just throwing it in, and he hears a splash of water, and he turns around, and you as the audience sees this massive shark just bursting through the water and then going down, and he just stands up, and he slowly backs into the cabin, and he says to Captain Quint, we're going to need a bigger boat. Which leads me to think, what if they actually did have a bigger boat? What if instead of a small fishing vessel, they had something like an aircraft carrier? Might be a little overkill for a shark, but think about that. An aircraft carrier is essentially a floating fortress. There is no way possible that a shark could sink an aircraft carrier, and they would have easily been able to kill it and move on with their day. And so in a similar vein, talking about sharks, which are a frightening thing, talking about boats, fortresses, I'm sure that there are things that frighten each and every one of us. For me, it actually is sharks. I don't like them. Uh, but maybe for you, it is your boss. You're afraid to go to work every day. Maybe you're afraid of getting sick and what will happen to your family. Maybe the bills are piling up and you're afraid of the future. And if you experience those fears, I am sure that you would love to know that there is a safe place you can go to, a veritable fortress where you can be safe from the things that frighten you. And so I'm here today 
to tell you very happily that that is the case, that there is a fortress that you can be safe and secure in, and a place not only that you can be safe in, but you can overcome your fears in. And that fortress is our triune God. And so, if you will turn with me to Psalm 46, we will discuss that. Psalm 46. Now, I'm just going to pray real quick, and we will get started. Father, I just thank you so much for uh, just this opportunity to share how amazing you are, Lord, to share how you really are our fortress, to share how you are the one who keeps us safe. You are the one that we can flee to when anything frightens us, Lord, and you are always there to comfort us and to give us courage. And so, God, I just pray today that you would uh, do that for me, give me courage to speak your word boldly, Lord, and that everyone would walk away here knowing you a little bit better and knowing that they can trust you as their shelter and fortress. In Christ's name, amen. So Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Salah. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Now, to spoil the ending of all of this, uh, this psalm is very simple in that uh, it presents different scenarios that are frightening, presents a scenario of worldwide disaster, it presents a scenario of uh, global political disorder, and in these scenarios, it is presented that we do not need to be afraid. Even if the worst things imaginable take place, we do not need to be afraid because God is a fortress that is stronger, more durable, and more safe than anything else in the world. And so looking at verses 1 through 3, this is the first thing that is presented. And what is presented is the forces of nature unleashed. The psalm begins with a very straightforward declaration, God is a refuge and a help. Uh, you know, thinking about a refuge, we hear about refugees, we hear about uh, just the things that go on today, and the reason why they're called refugees is because they're fleeing somewhere dangerous and fleeing to refuge, fleeing to somewhere safe. 
And so here we have just a straightforward statement, God is that safe place. God is that refuge for each and every one of us. Not only is he a refuge, he is a strength. He is the one who gives us the capability, the power to endure the things that may come. And not only is he a strength, but he is a reliable shelter. He is very present in trouble. I was driving my uh, wife's car the other day, and uh, it was very hot. So I turned the AC on, and for about three minutes, the AC was on, I was feeling all nice, stopped sweating. And then for no reason, it just stopped, and stopped for the rest of the car ride home, which was about an hour, and uh, (laughs) didn't work the next day, decided to work the next day, and then decided not to work the next day. And so that is the definition of inconsistency, unreliability. And God is not like that. God is not like my wife's faulty AC. Sorry. (laughs) God is reliable. God is always on the job to help us, always present in all of our troubles. And so God, again, is presented as a refuge, a reliable one and a strong one. And so for the psalmist, what is the reaction to all of this? Well, the reaction, knowing that God is a place of safety, knowing that God is reliable, is to say, therefore, we shall not be afraid. And now this isn't just a a declaration of, yeah, I'm not going to be afraid of everything or anything, and then just move on. Well, like I said, something is presented to demonstrate why we don't need to be afraid. And what is uh, shown here is, again, the forces of nature unleashed. And what is described here, you see, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This is possibly the, the most hyperbolic, the worst kind of disaster you could imagine. So mountains are supposed to be immovable. They are always there. They are uh, barriers and uh, just fixtures of the landscape. Now imagine if they just started shaking and they just fell into the ocean. The ocean rises up and starts overcoming the mountains. How much of a disaster that would be. Think of the movie 2012. Uh, Just the entire earth is engulfed in a variety of natural disasters and it kills most of the people, and it's just a horrible, horrible event. Personally, if I were to go to New Hampshire and see the White Mountains overcome by the ocean, I would be a little bit afraid. But the psalmist says that we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid because even if the most unimaginable disaster happens, something that Uh, seems more like something from science fiction than reality, we don't need to be afraid because God is our fortress. God is stronger and more immovable than nature around us. And because of that, we don't need to be afraid. You could substitute any one of your fears for what is being described here. Uh, You could be, again, afraid of your boss. You could be afraid of getting sick, all of these things. And what the psalmist is saying, well, if you, I don't need to be afraid of the earth 
being destroyed, then we don't need to be afraid of anything else. You don't need to be afraid of your boss. You don't need to be afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. And not because of some stoic decision not to listen to your fears, but the decision to trust God, to seek him as your shelter, and know that he will protect you. And so in an interesting way, uh, I have a story that sort of plays out this logic. Uh, who here has heard of a man named Ignatius of Loyola? That is actually very surprising. <laughs> you guys are very well educated. <laughs> so uh, Ignatius of Loyola was the founder of the Jesuits, a Roman Catholic monastic order. And he was a contemporary of people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, um, just on the other side of the Reformation. Um, and he was born into a noble family. He lived the early part of his life as a soldier until he was very severely injured in battle. And while he was sitting in the hospital recovering, he thought to himself, well, my life isn't really going anywhere. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm sick, I'm in the hospital, I've spent my whole life fighting for glory, all these things, and you know what? It's not really worth it. I need something more. I need God. And so at that point, he dedicated himself to seeking and serving God, and through a series of events, eventually became this founder of an order of monks. But what's interesting about him is that during his life, he dealt with severe fear of just a variety of things, fear of sin, that everything he was doing was the most egregious sin imaginable, fear of dying and getting sick from things. And uh, during one particular uh, event in his life, he was taking care of a victim of the Black Plague. And so the Black Plague was a disease in the Middle Ages that periodically would uh, pop up in various communities all over the known world at that time, so from Europe to the Middle East. And it was devastating. It would kill large amounts of the population. It wasn't like getting the flu. Uh, it was like getting Ebola today. It's nigh incurable. And to be around people with the disease can be a death sentence for the caretaker. And yet, monks, being good people or wanting to be, uh, decided that they would take care of plague victims. And Ignatius, as the leader of monks, uh, was one who would care for them. And at one point, he was wrapping the uh, hand of someone who had sores from the disease. And afterwards, maybe a few days later, he started feeling pain in the hand that he had wrapped it with. Uh, and he started to think to himself, wow, I may have the Black Plague now. This isn't good. Uh, I could die. I could uh, wind up in the same situation that that man was that I was taking care of. Uh, what's going to happen to me? All this fear just started rising up in his mind. But as this fear was rising up in his mind, I believe he pondered and thought of the nature of God and the nature of uh, his relationship to him. And he knew, well, maybe I have the black plague. Maybe I am going to die. But you know what? God is greater than those things. God is greater 
than this sickness, and I don't need to be afraid. And at that point, he did something kind of weird. He took his potentially diseased hand and said, since you're afraid of one part, meaning afraid his hand is diseased, now the whole body is going to take its share, and he stuck his potentially diseased hand right into his mouth. Now, I don't recommend you do that if (laughs) you're taking care of someone sick, but I think this illustrates what the psalmist is talking about. If you uh, are not going to be afraid, if you don't need to be afraid of an unimaginable disaster, uh, if you don't need to be afraid of getting sick, you don't need to be afraid of just the various things that could frighten you, then you can accept with gladness of heart God's protection of you and God's faithfulness to you. And so by doing that, he cured himself of his fear because he just said, I'm going to accept this. If I really am sick, if the worst thing that could happen to me is going to happen, then I'm just going to accept it and know that I'm still protected by God, that I'm still safe and secure in God, our fortress. And so here, the psalmist, and and through this illustration, uh, again, we see that we do not need to be afraid, even if unimaginable natural disaster happens. But maybe you're not afraid of natural disaster. Maybe you're not afraid of disease. Maybe you're not afraid of these things. Maybe you're afraid of people. Maybe you're afraid of the world gone wrong. And so now, as we look at verses 4 through 6, we find uh, the psalmist addressing people who have those fears, addressing those situations, and again proving that God is a fortress. And so we see here in verse 4 that the psalmist is transitioning from the last passage, that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. In the last set of verses, we saw the ocean, the sea, rising up and bringing destruction on the earth. But now we transition, and there's a stream. It's still a source of water, but under God's care, it's not destructive, it's nurturing. It brings joy, it brings healing, it brings hope. And where does this go? It goes into the city of God. Now, because this was written in ancient Israel, the city that's being talked about is Jerusalem. And it's declared to be a holy habitation of God. And that is reference to the temple. At this time in the history of God's people, God had promised a special presence uh, would dwell within the temple, within Jerusalem. the holy religious space that he had designated. And here, we see what happens when God, as a fortress, is dwelling amongst his people, dwelling in a place. It says that the city will not be moved. This place where God is dwelling, this place where his holy habitation is, he has uh, taken over the forces of nature and turned them into a nurturing thing. This is the place where God is, and that place is not going to be moved. Now, if you look at uh, the other verses, specifically where it says the mountains are shaking, and later in a few seconds where it says that the kingdoms totter, that's the same word. The same word for moved or shaken for the mountains, kingdoms tottering, and this city moving. That's the same exact word. 
And what the psalmist is saying through that use of the same word is the earth can shake, the earth can move, the earth is impermanent and can fall. Nations, kingdoms, uh, the socio-political organizations of man, they too can fall and be moved. They are not a, a safe place. But the place where God dwells, the fortress that is God, will never be moved. Everything else in this world can change, can become destructive, can be something you could be frightened of, but God will never move. God will never allow that to happen to his people. And so you see this specifically for the nations in the next verse. The nations are described as being in an uproar and tottering. In this very brief sentence, what's being described is, and as we see later when it talks about spears and shields, uh, this is a description of war, of uh, political conflict on a massive scale. So it's not just saying, you know, one nation, you know, our neighbor over here is having this problem. The nations, the whole known world for Israel at the time, is in this state of war, is in this state of conflict. And you see that time and time again throughout Scripture, this was true for the Israelites. Whether they were attacked by Egypt or Babylon or Assyria or had some civil conflict, war was a way of life in the ancient Middle East. And so to describe the entire world being in this state, uh, it's just upping the ante that much more to just present this in the starkest terms. This is the worst thing that could happen in this particular realm, in the realm of uh, human nations, politics, war. Uh, to put it in maybe today's terms, imagine maybe World War II, or perhaps even worse, uh, imagine during the Cold War if the United States and the Soviet Union had actually gotten into a real war, the devastation that that would bring, the entire earth consumed in war, consumed in fire. This is what is being presented here. However, in the face of this unimaginable political disaster, unimaginable war, God only needs to speak, only needs to speak, and the earth melts away. All opposition to God is brought to nothing. All opposition to God is turned from opposition and turned into peace. And this section ends with that declaration, the Lord of hosts, that is the Lord of armies, the Lord of military might himself, is with us. Human kingdoms cannot stand against the kingdom of God, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. God is greater. God as a fortress is so safe and secure that even the worst political, military disaster needn't cause us fear. But maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, well, Mr. Preacher Man, This sounds all well and good. It sounds like, yeah, we don't need to be afraid. You know, if I just tell myself this, you know, I'm just going to feel better. Uh, but in reality, all these bad things could happen to me. Uh, I could die. You know, a tree could fall on me. Uh, our country could get into war. 
There's no guarantee that I'm actually going to be physically safe from all harm. And those things are scary. No one wants to be physically harmed. No one wants to be in these situations. And it's easy to think that, uh, especially looking at the world today. I myself am a news junkie. I spend my brief periods of break at work reading all sorts of news sites. And I can tell you the world is a very scary place. Right now, as I am up here, uh, currently there's a civil war going on in the country of Yemen, which is also acting as a proxy war between the Iranians and the Saudis for religious reasons. Uh, there's a report that China is now training pilots to attack U.S. military targets in the Pacific. And of course, North Korea still has nuclear weapons. And so again, you may be looking at me and saying, Again, this is all well and good. This is all uh, nice, good feelings that I could get. But God really can't keep me safe. God really isn't a fortress in any tangible sense. And so I'd like to respond to that first with an affirmation. You're right. This isn't a promise. To say God is a fortress is not a promise of never experiencing harm, never experiencing difficulty, uh, that I could take a gun and shoot you and the bullet would just bounce off of you. That's not what's being said here. Though I will say that God can and does at times do things to protect you physically and that you can trust him for that. But God, in his promise to be a fortress, in his uh, teaching for us not to be afraid, would like us to be directed to something else. And so in one instance in his ministry, Jesus spoke to his disciples about fear, fear of the world, fear of physical harm from people who would persecute Christians. And this is what he said in Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Well, we often imagine it to be the case, and I know I've used the term here, worst-case scenario, to describe natural disasters, political disasters. If you really take these words of Jesus seriously, none of those things are the actual worst-case scenario. The actual worst-case scenario is that we would find ourselves at the end of our life as we die, find ourselves waking up to eternal separation from God, that is the worst-case scenario. The very embodiment of goodness itself, who God is, to be separated from that forever is the true worst-case scenario. And it's a scenario that unfortunately we all deserve, that we've all turned away from that goodness in our lives. And so God is essentially giving us over to that decision. If you don't want to be with goodness, if you don't want to be with life itself, then you won't experience it, that you will have your wish, you will be separated from it. But with this horrible worst-case scenario news, there is also some very, very good news, that though we justly deserve such a fate, when we place our faith in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, that won't be our fate. You see, the worst-case scenario, separation from God for sin, 
is something that God took upon himself as Jesus dying on the cross. Not only did his body die, but he experienced the full wrath of God for the sins of humankind. And he did this out of love for each and every one of you, bearing your sins to prevent this worst-case scenario from happening. And now because of that, though, yes, we can die physically, yes, we could die from disaster or war, your soul is locked away in the mighty fortress that is Jesus Christ. And that fortress is impregnable. And that is a promise from God that you will not ultimately die, though your body passes away. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54-55, Paul the Apostle says this, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? What Paul is saying here, and, and what I believe the Lord would have us to know, is that death has been rendered powerless. Yes, you are right to say that we could die, but ultimately, death has only a pyrrhic victory over us. It may take our bodies away for a time, but when Christ returns, we will be raised from the dead in a glorious new existence. We will be able to live with our God forever in the purest, in the most intense, and in the most long-lasting happiness imaginable. Light, death does not have the final say in our lives as believers. I like to think of the quote from Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars that he says to Darth Vader, If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And that is the reality for those who have placed their faith in Christ. That though our mortal bodies can die, and though there are things that we could be frightened of, the ultimate thing to be frightened of will never happen to us. Anything that can happen to us in this life is not ultimate, but only temporary. And that is because God is our mighty fortress, a God who will protect us as our souls, protect the very core of who we are from the worst harm that can come. And now as we transition to the last section of the psalm, we find the psalmist uh, demonstrating the goodness of God, demonstrating, again, this fact that God is a mighty fortress. Uh, this begins with uh, this command, Come, behold the works of the Lord. You see, the psalmist is inviting the reader, or in this case the hearer, to see the proof that God is a fortress, to see the proof that what God is talking about is true. And so after this uh, description of political conflict gone awry, of world war, what do we see? We see the implements of war itself brought to destruction. We see chariots burned with fire, spears shattered, the bow is broken. All of the things that cause war are gone. War itself has been destroyed by God and turned into peace, an everlasting peace. And in this peace, in this demonstration of who God is, 
we have another command. And I imagine that, uh, you know, there are other portions of Scripture that certainly speak to fighting the good fight of faith, speak to exerting ourselves uh, for the kingdom of God. And this psalm very well could end with an exhortation like that. You know, see, you don't need to be afraid. Uh, God has taken care of everything. He is a fortress. Uh, So why don't you guys just hit the ground running? Go do great things for God. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. But that's not how this psalm ends. It now transitions to the voice of God actually speaking to the audience, and this is what God says. Be still. Be still. God is calling his people to let go of their worries, to let go of their activities, their attempts at controlling the situations that may cause them fear, the attempts at controlling what may go on, and the worries that accompany that. God is simply telling us to be still, to relax, to calm down. And it is because God is a mighty fortress. You don't need to be afraid of a bear attacking you when you're inside of your house. You don't need to be afraid of a shark when you're on land. And you don't need to be afraid of anything in this world when you are in the fortress that is God. And so God is calling us to be still, and not only to be still, but to know that he is God, to know that this God is the one who has accomplished this. This is the God who is our fortress, who brings wars to an end, who makes the earth melt, who will protect us, body and soul. And why exactly is this good news? To know that he is God, as it goes on to say, to know that he will be exalted in the nations that he'll be exalted throughout the whole earth. This is good news because God has one overriding motivation and overriding desire of his own heart. And that desire is to be known by mankind, to be known as the good God that he is, to be worshipped and to be in relationship with the things and the people he has created. And so God is saying here, be still, know that I am God. Know that my plan to be known by you is not going to be thwarted. Nothing is going to interrupt, interfere, or end my great purpose for this world. And because of that, you can be assured, if I am saying that I am a fortress, I am going to prove to you that I am a fortress. I am going to prove to you that what I'm saying isn't just smoke. What I'm saying to you is true. And what I'm saying to you is something that you can bank your life on. And so, as we come to a close, we see again, as God has uh, promised to be made known, God, the psalmist, again declaring, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, is with us, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. That is something that each and every one of us 
can trust in today. We can trust that even if the worst unimaginable natural disaster happens, we don't need to be afraid because God is our fortress. We can trust that even if all of the world uh, is thrown into turmoil and our very lives are constantly at risk, that we truly do not need to be afraid because what's most important will be made safe by God. And that we know that this is true because God has promised, he has put his reputation, he has put his great purpose into action, and nothing can thwart that. God will be known as a God of safety, as a fortress. And so now, having talked about God as a fortress, I'd like to leave you with a related promise of God just to reinforce all of this for you. And this is taken from Isaiah 54.10. This is God's word to his people. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Thank you.